We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit WYNNBET. Dot com to start winning. And away we go. Episode 172 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, October 22nd. 2021, and we now have Congress, Congress getting involved in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. If any entity knows anything about workplace misconduct, it's Congress. You can be sure of that. But a Washington workplace misconduct scandal that was over now not only is back on, but Congress is getting involved. Major breaking news on Thursday night. What exactly the news will mean is open to interpretation. Interpret I shall. Next segment. But hello and welcome to a Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I will be talking lots of football on this Football Friday show. So if you're all scandaled out, no worries. Uh, Always know, unlike many other podcasts, I put timestamps in the descriptions of shows for this podcast. So if you want to pick and choose which segments you listen to, that's fine. Although you should listen to every segment, every segment of every show, every second of every segment of every show. Cherish these pearls of wisdom that I'm dropping on you. But yeah, Football Friday, our two and four Washington football team will be at the five and one Green Bay Packers this Sunday afternoon at one. I'm going to give you everything that you need to know 
for the game. I have segments for you on Washington's offense and defense, the latest on injuries. Lots of good stuff from Washington offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday on what's going on with Taylor Heineke. I have some scheduled fun for you with Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and his non-answer answers. I will be getting into the latest in the Landon Collins situation as he spoke on Thursday via post-practice press conference, called himself a linebacker and said that he's not happy about it. Uh, I have a special guest for you, Ryan Schlipp, the host of the Packernet podcast, a very informative podcast on the Packers. And I have additional scheduled fun for you via rhyming keys as I will rhyme the path to victory for Washington at Green Bay on Sunday. Also, Goldilocks, my picks against the spreads for Maryland, Minnesota, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, at Navy Cincinnati. And I'll talk some Capitals. Another win for them. 4-1 the final at the New Jersey Devils on Thursday night. Vitek Vanacek was good again. Evgeny Kuznetsov and Alex Ovechkin were productive again. Caps are 3-0-1 and they're doing quite well so far. Uh, friendly reminder, when you have 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give this podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write just like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. These things do help out a lot. I know they can seem silly, and they kind of are, uh, but these things help out the cause that is this podcast uh, quite a bit. And I do very much appreciate you guys for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Stanley Evans on Ron Rivera. Right, Stanley. Some stuff that Ron says loses me. I want to believe in what he's doing, but the reason for cutting Dustin Hopkins loses me. You didn't think to do that after the Atlanta game? And I know this is months ago, but you draft a long snapper? You didn't maybe want to try to get a quarterback in the sixth round? Is he the sole person that is making these decisions? You cut Jimmy Moreland and keep Troy Apke? The secondary is playing like there are six Apkes back there. The irony seems that Ron was only good when he had Cam Newton, who Ron refuses to sign. Uh, Yes, Stanley, Ron turned on Dustin Hopkins. That's as clear as could be. Remember, it was on Wednesday, October 6th that Ron at a post-practice press conference gave what I thought were the best and most honest answers that Ron gave about why he stuck with Dustin Hopkins. You know, Ron talked about there not being that many other good kickers out there. Talked about how you have to stick with the kickers. Ron did with former Washington kicker Graham Gano during Ron's time as Carolina Panthers head coach. And then Ron, exactly two weeks later, released Hopkins. So, so much for sticking with the guy. Uh, That, my friends, is a heel turn on a guy. Here's what we now know about Ron. He's with you and he supports you until he doesn't. (laughs) Uh, This happened with Dwayne Haskins last season. This now has happened with Dustin Hopkins this season. So Dwayne Haskins, Dustin Hopkins, if your initials are DH, watch out. Uh, And look, you are allowed to change your mind, okay? I mean, like Ron to me was right to turn on Dwayne last season. Dwayne wasn't good, wasn't putting in the work. Uh, Dwayne was showing up late to meetings. That's inexcusable for a starting quarterback. Uh, I agree with Stanley on drafting Cameron Cheeseman. I never liked that. I would never spend a draft pick on a long snapper. I don't care how good he is. Uh, I agree with Stanley on releasing Jimmy Moreland in favor of Troy Apke. I still wonder about that. I would not, though, sign Cam Newton. And I know, Stanley, you weren't necessarily advocating for that, but Cam Newton appears to be shot. And Cam, at this point, 
is a road to nowhere. And yes, Ryan Fitzpatrick is older than Cam, but at least Fitzmagic had played at a high level in each of the previous two seasons. You could argue that Cam has not played at a high level since his 2015 MVP season. Uh, That was a while ago now. Email from Rich, writes Rich, good news. I saw Curtis Samuel on an Eastern Motors commercial. He must be ready to play. No way would he come to a new town, sign a fat contract, and start cashing in before he does anything for the team. Uh, Yes, Rich, I saw that commercial as well. And thank you, Rich, for that email. Uh, Email from Connor Davis on the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle. Writes Connor, love the podcast. I listen every morning. Thank you, Connor. I appreciate that. Continues, Connor. Over the years, you and other media members have discussed the declining fan base, which is evident through ticket sales, TV ratings, etc. I am under 30, and so I have never seen this team have any sort of success, and this year may be the breaking point for me and many other fans. For my age group, this past week was an absolute disgrace to one of our favorite players, whether it was to divert attention from the bad press the WFT was getting, or complete incompetence doesn't matter. It is a reflection on how these things never stop, even with the culture change, new hires, etc. I didn't think we could reach a further rock bottom during Gruden's last year, but here we are. I can't take this constant letdown by a franchise anymore. It'd be one thing if they were just bad at football, but they are bad at everything. I have told my friends I'm giving this team this season and the announcement of the name change. This team is about to go 4-13, and have even less fans show up and tune into the games, and then they are going to change the name. If the Sean Taylor debacle is a glimpse into Jason Wright's knowledge of the team, the fan base, and business ideas, then I have zero faith He will choose a name that these tortured fans will like. This team can't do anything right. And for me, the name change is my cutoff point. And I think it will be for many others, exclamation mark. Uh, I hear you, Connor. I hear you, man. Uh, Look, me personally, I will never not be a fan of the team. There's nothing that Dan Snyder, Jason Wright, or anyone else could do to make me stop being a fan of the team because I separate Dan. Jason, and everyone else from the team. So there's nothing any person could do to make me stop being a fan of the team. There's nothing that could happen that could make me stop being a fan of the team. Even, yes, congressional involvement. I'm a fan of the team, which to me goes beyond actual people, actual things. Like, to me, being a fan is about memories. Uh, It's about hope. It's about excitement. And nobody can ever take those things away from me, just like nobody can ever take those things away from you. That's why even like with the name change, I mean, I still have a lot of questions about why this name is changing and whether this name should be changing. But my fandom goes deeper than even the name. So even the name change does not lessen or remove my fandom. And that's me. I'm not saying that my way is the right way. I'm just telling you that that's my way. I will always be a fan. But that is, again, me, and maybe I'm a sucker, okay? Maybe I'm a doofus for approaching things this way. Uh, As Connor pointed out, you know, for someone like him who doesn't have great memories of this team, the situation is different. I get that. You know, my first season as a Redskins fan was the 1987 season. So I got to enjoy a Super Bowl championship from the get-go. I then got to enjoy another Super Bowl championship in the 1991 season, okay? I got those things. You didn't get those things. And I get being furious over the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement mess. I mean, I still can't believe that the team had family and acquaintances of Chiefs players standing on the number 21 
that was painted on the turf at FedEx Field. I still can't believe that Washington conducted a photo op with Sean's family in front of portable toilets outside of FedEx Field. I mean, seriously, what is that? Who does that? How does that happen? Like, what are we going to hear next? That the team invited the five people convicted in Sean's murder to FedEx Field for last Sunday? Like, seemingly everything that has come out about the quote-unquote honoring of Sean last Sunday has been bad, not good, and has made the team look worse, not better. Well, if you are having problems with your skin, you will always be better for having contacted Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, contact Dr. Verghese at 301-396-3401 and tell him that Al Galdi sent you. Also, if you are dealing with skin cancer or if someone you know is dealing with skin cancer, understand that the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something very special and cutting edge in the treatment of skin cancer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, before we get going with the football talk on this Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, some thoughts on the breaking news on Thursday night. So we, on Thursday night, had this breaking news of Congress having questions about the Washington football team's workplace culture scandal. Uh, Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, on Thursday sent a letter to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell requesting documents and information regarding the Washington football team's hostile workplace culture and the NFL's handling of the matter. Wrote the chairs, quote, The NFL has one of the most prominent platforms in America, and its decisions can have national implications. The NFL's lack of transparency about the problems it recently uncovered raise questions about the seriousness with which it has addressed bigotry, racism, sexism, and homophobia, setting a troubling precedent for other workplaces. 
The committee is seeking to fully understand this workplace conduct and the league's response, which will help inform legislative efforts to address toxic work environments and workplace investigation processes, strengthen protections for women in the workplace, and address the use of non-disclosure agreements to prevent the disclosure of unlawful employment practices, including sexual harassment. We hope and trust that the NFL shares the committee's goal of protecting American workers from harassment and discrimination, end quote. Now, a few things with all of this. Point number one, this is Congress, okay? Congress loves to talk a big game. Congress loves to posture. Congress right now loves to virtue signal. And Congress so often gets nothing done. Okay, the approval ratings for the U.S. Congress have been woeful for years now, and for good reason. So if you are skeptical about all of this, if you are rolling your eyes at this, I do not blame you one bit. It has been very hard to feel anything close to good about our Congress for years now. So I want to establish that. Point number two, I would not be surprised at all if some of this is political. Okay, let's just tell it like it is. Both Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamoorthy are Democrats. I don't know for sure whether Dan Snyder is a Republican, but I do know that Dan Snyder was slash is a big supporter of President Donald Trump. According to Federal Election Commission records, Dan donated $1.1 million to Trump. So as laudable as what Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamoorthy may be doing is, and I don't discount that, like there was a lot of truth in that excerpt of the letter that I just read to you. I ask you this question. If Dan was a huge supporter of President Joe Biden, would that letter have been sent on Thursday? If Dan was a major donor to President Biden, would that letter have been sent on Thursday? Maybe the letter would have been sent, okay? I'm not just going to completely wipe that possibility off the table, but maybe the letter would not have been sent. I do wonder about that. And then point number three, and I tweeted this out on Thursday night, would it not be so fitting and such poetic justice for Dan Snyder to be taken down by a congressional investigation incited by emails that he himself allegedly leaked to exact revenge on Bruce Allen, but that served to reignite a scandal. That was over. I mean, play this out in your mind and just think about this here. We don't know for sure that Dan leaked these emails that were involved in the Beth Wilkinson investigation. These emails, all 650,000 plus of them uh, that supposedly were all from Bruce Allen's Redskins account. But more than a few people believe that Dan did leak the emails in order to damage Bruce, who Dan believes was a part of the alleged smear campaign of Dan in the summer of 2020. Now, that the emails caused more damage to John Gruden than anyone is beside the point. And yes, I know that all of this gets awfully confusing. I am with you on that. Now, in fairness to Dan, his lawyer has denied that Dan leaked the emails. So former Washington cheerleader Melanie Coburn recently went on Fox News and said that she believes that Dan Snyder leaked the emails. But Jordan Sieve, an attorney for a law firm 
that's representing Dan said in a statement to the New York Post, quote, any suggestion by Ms. Coburn that anyone associated with the Washington football team was behind any leaks concerning John Gruden is categorically false and part of a pattern of misinformation being spread by Ms. Coburn, end quote. So let's make that clear. Team Danny is denying that Danny leaked the emails, and maybe he didn't leak the emails. I don't think that it's a slam dunk that Dan leaked the emails, but I do think that it's possible. And so how about the irony here? The emails have served to breathe life into this workplace misconduct scandal, which was over, which was done, which was finished, which was dead and buried. We in early July got the results of the Beth Wilkinson investigation. We did not get a written report for the Beth Wilkinson investigation, but we got the results of the Beth Wilkinson investigation. And that was set to be it for this workplace misconduct scandal. And so how about the irony here? The emails have resurrected the scandal. And wouldn't it be something if that resurrection led to a congressional investigation that ends up costing Dan his ownership of the team? First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Danny. Happy Thanksgiving. Now, I know what you're probably saying. What is Congress going to do? Remove Dan as owner of the Washington football team? Uh, No. But at some point, the NFL may just decide, you know what? Danny just ain't worth it. Having Dan Snyder as an owner of one of our teams, having Dan Snyder as a part of our league, having Dan Snyder as a part of the family is no longer tenable. And the NFL may make it so that Danny is out, especially if he leaked the emails. Again, the scandal was over. What the NFL wanted with this scandal was for it to just go away. That Dan himself, if he leaked the emails, brought the scandal back to life is remarkable and I think would drive the other owners nuts. And I could see that being something that truly turns the other owners on Dan. And once the other owners turn on you, that's it. You're done. This is like the mafia. You're a made guy until you're no longer a made guy. We're a ways away from any of this happening. But to me, it's impossible to not have these thoughts of what broke on Thursday night. The 2-4 and four Washington football team will be at the 5-1 and one Green Bay Packers this Sunday afternoon at 1. Next segment, I'll talk Washington defense. And there is a lot to get into with that, especially with the Landon Collins situation. But right now, the Washington offense, for which Thursday's injury report was better than Wednesday's injury report. We'll start with the bad news. Curtis Samuel did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to his groin, uh, which had him inactive for the 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. Cam Sims did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to his hamstring, which has had him inactive for each of the last two games. Samuel Cosme did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to his ankle, which had him inactive for the loss to the Chiefs. And Brandon Sheriff did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to his knee, which has had him inactive for each of the last two games. However, Terry McLaurin was a limited participant in practice on Thursday off 
not having practiced on Wednesday due to his hamstring. Antonio Gibson was a limited participant in practice on Thursday off not having practiced on Wednesday due to his shin. Ricky Seals-Jones was a limited participant in practice on Thursday off not having practiced on Wednesday due to a quad. Diami Brown was a limited participant in practice on Thursday as he deals with a knee. And Charles Leno Jr. was a full participant and practice on Thursday off not having practiced on Wednesday due to rest. There will be a quiz at the end uh, of the show. By the way, for the Packers defense, our old pal, edge rusher Preston Smith, did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to an oblique. He has never missed a regular season game in his NFL career. That could change this Sunday. Uh, Also, safety and Maryland product Darnell Savage was limited in practice on Thursday off not having practiced on Wednesday due to a concussion. But back to Washington, what about Antonio Gibson? So he's dealing with this shin ailment that he on October 8th in a post-practice press conference revealed is a stress fracture. Gibson in the loss to the Chiefs aggravated the shin injury early in the second quarter and ended up being limited in the game. He played on just 39% of Washington's offensive snaps, finished with 10 carries for 44 yards and a lost fumble, and two receptions for zero yards on three targets including a drop. Washington offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here was Scott on this Antonio Gibson shin situation. Yeah, it's more of a week, like it's more of a weekly management thing, you know, with him as far as just, hey, let's let's balance what he needs to do during the week. Um, And then, you know, he's got some other issues as well, you know, but um, they, from just being banged up from just playing running back, you know, and taking hits. But the uh, yeah it, that more thing is just management during the week and th- but the other thing like with Antonio he's a young player you know so he's missing out on practice reps too which you know just hurts him going forward for the entire season um, but you know it's just the thing with Antonio it's not so much pitch count I think once he's ready to go Sunday he can play and you know we gave him quite a few carries in the past few weeks uh, but just getting him to Sunday and, and making sure that he's taking care of his body during the week is the biggest obstacle. Yeah, this Gibson shin situation is not good. We saw a lot of J.D. McKissick in the loss of the Chiefs. He was good, and we may well see a lot more of McKissick at the Packers on Sunday. The state of Washington's offense from an injury standpoint right now is rough. Uh, Scott on Thursday on how Washington being so banged up on offense impacts game planning and play calling on offense. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, as we've, you know, we've learned um, over the last couple of years and as just through my career, injuries are part of the game. You know, they're part of this game. Uh, we, you know, in that Atlanta game, you know, I think we, we talked about it. We joked about it. It was a lot cheerier mood then um, in the press conference where, you know, they it all kind of happened really fast, you know, and then the guys that we lost in those games, you know, they've been out a few weeks, you know, and. It, it creates opportunities for the guys behind them to step up. Um, the biggest thing is like for me or for our offensive staff during the week, just kind of finding out, you know, okay, who who are we going to have, you know, and then, okay, we think we might have this guy by Sunday. When's he going to be able to practice? So I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it limits. I mean, we still try to do everything we can to get our guys in the best, best, um, best position, but you know, live in some practice reps. And then, you know, and then when the guys get ready towards the end of the week, you know, you just kind of, you, you 
you get an idea of, you know, and then certain plays, they might come out of the game plan because, hey, we thought we were going to potentially get a guy back, but we're not going to get him this week. So, you know, something that someone might do well, you take it out. And it's just, it's all part of it. You know, it's all part of the week-in, week-out deal of, um, you know, this league. And unfortunately for us, we got a bunch of injuries in one, you know, in a short period of time. Yeah, you do, and you're without your head athletic trainer, right? Ryan Vermillion, uh, due to him being on paid administrative leave off the DEA and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department on October 1st, having conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. It's very easy with everything else going on with the Washington football team to forget about this Vermillion thing, but yeah, this Vermillion thing is a big thing. Now to Taylor Heineke. Uh, He has not been good in each of the last two games. In fact, to me, his two worst games as a Washington quarterback have been his last two games. The loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5 and the loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field last Sunday. Heineke through Week 6 was down to being just 24th out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and ESPN's total QBR at 46.0. Rod Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, stood by Heineke as Washington's starting quarterback. I was glad to hear that, but let's be honest here. There are only so many really bad games that Heineke is going to be allowed to have before he's benched. I mean, it's true that he has made just seven starts, regular season and postseason, as an NFL quarterback. But it's also true that he's not going to be afforded the time with which to grow that, say, a first-round quarterback would get. Right or wrong, fair or unfair, that's the way that this is. So Heineke needs to, if not demonstrate improvement, then at least not demonstrate regression. And Heineke, over these last two games, has demonstrated regression. Now, Heineke on Wednesday at his post-practice press conference said that he, over the last two games, has been trying to be perfect. Here was that. Yeah, you know, you kind of look the last two games, I feel like I've just been trying to be perfect and trying to make the, the perfect read every play. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't really allow me to be um, who I am or, you know, allow me to be my best. All right, so that was Taylor Heineke on Wednesday. Here was Scott Turner on Thursday on whether he agrees with Heineke's assessment that Heineke, over the last two games, has been trying to be perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think what he's saying is just, you know, you look back at the game, and sometimes people can have overreactions. um, And, you know, he threw two picks in the Saints game, you know, going back. And so, you know, when you do that, and, you know, it's a close game early, and we kind of had the upper hand, and then he threw a couple, you know, a couple picks. um, And then that, you know, that weighed heavy on him. So I think, you know, he just over, you know, overcompensated maybe and just, you know, was afraid to, you know, make those mistakes and and I just told him you know that's not him you know that's not he's not that's not him being himself and he can't play that way and you can't be afraid to make mistakes because if you're afraid to make mistakes and you play in the NFL you're still going to make mistakes and you're just not going to make any plays in the meantime you know and um you know he's got to go go be himself trust what he sees and, and and relax and be be the player that that he is not trying to be some you know be perfect or you know do everything perfectly And Scott Turner and Taylor Heineke know each other well, right? They work together with the Minnesota Vikings, work together with the Carolina Panthers, now are working together with the Washington football team. Scott on Thursday on his relationship with Heineke. Yeah, I think Taylor, you know, like you said, we got a good relationship and he knows me well enough to to know that when I talk to him, I'm just speaking honestly to him, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not like, 
I'm picking on them or, or anything, or even when I'm, you know, when it's positive and I'm hyping them up, I'm just telling them the truth as I see it, you know, and uh, with him and the message to him that I gave to him was just, you know, of we want you to be yourself, you know, we just want you to be yourself and be yourself on the field and not worry about, you know, doing everything perfectly, kind of like, as I said earlier. And, um, and I think he just, you know, took that to heart. I, I mean, I, obviously he came in and talked about it, but just, made him feel like hey I don't you know I don't have to be because I don't have to be something I'm not because it is like it, you know you come in you play a game you play two games that's one thing but the stress of you know being the guy week in and week out that that can weigh on you and you know just I'm just trying to let him know that you know he doesn't have to try to do more than just be the player that he is you know and then that that's going to be good enough for us All right what about Heineke running Heineke and the loss of the Chiefs had zero rushing attempts. Uh, Ron Rivera told Taylor Heineke a while ago to stop running so much in an effort to keep him healthy. Heineke's collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder, revealed that to us on this podcast a few weeks ago, episode 160. Ron on Monday admitted that maybe Heineke needs to run more. And so this was Scott on Thursday on Heineke having no rushing attempts in the loss to the Chiefs. Yeah, no, I don't have any issue with him running. I mean, um, those opportunities, they come, you know, we're not really calling a lot of runs for him. Um, it's more of a, you know, he the, his runs really come on scrambles. And, you know, they did a nice job of really just containing with their rushes. I think it's very similar to, uh, you know, what we saw in the Giants game earlier, just kind of the way they rushed, the way they rushed him. And, um, you know, so that just didn't give him the opportunity. We called some nakeds, got him on the edge on a couple things. But um, as far as just the scrambles and him finding rush lanes and stepping up and taking off, you know, they, didn't, they did a nice job of uh, really kind of taking those away. Yeah, I want to see Heineke run more. I get the idea of him needing to stay healthy, but he's at his best when he's using his legs as the weapons that they can be. And those legs were not weapons in that loss to the Chiefs, albeit some of that had to do with the way the Chiefs were playing things. I get that. Uh, Another thing going on with Heineke is where he's at with his processing of plays. And this, to me, matters more than anything. Heineke's processing speed had been maybe his biggest strength. To me, it had been his biggest strength. His ability to decide where to go with the football and the speed with which he did that had been really good. But Heineke and the loss to the Saints in Week 5 was late on a number of throws. You could argue that Heineke and the loss to the Chiefs last Sunday moved off of reads too quickly. Scott on Thursday on whether that was the case. Yeah, there was a little bit of that, um, or just you know eliminating someone early, um, early in a read or early in a down, uh, where maybe there was a shot to go there. And then you know we had some we had some down the field throws early that were very close. You know what I mean that we didn't quite didn't quite hit on. Um, but yeah, I think that's more what what you're saying, where it's just, you know, not letting the play really actually play itself out. Yeah, you could see all of this really being a mind bleep for Heineke. You know, you don't want to be late on throws, but you don't want to get off of reads too quickly. You want to make plays and be a playmaker, but you don't want to take unnecessary risks and not be a game manager. You want to run, but you don't want to get hurt. It's easy to see how you can fall prey to paralysis by analysis. More from Scott on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, we don't, I mean, I don't think, like, I'm thinking, try the best way to say this. Taylor doesn't necessarily get his coaching points from the things he reads, you know what I mean? He gets them directly from us. So for us, like, in my opinion, there hasn't been multiple coaching points. Like, a lot of times, 
you know, the the overreaction to what I was saying is just like just a feeling that he had. Like he understands when he throws an interception and he can be his toughest critic and you know, that's not a good feeling. So, you know, he's just trying to pull back on it. You know, if and the things that we've talked to him about is and what we really do is just evaluate each individual play and then coach decision making based off of what you should do on these plays. The thing that his mistakes and what we talked about where where you said like check the ball down, those things have happened late in the down. You know what I mean? Where, okay, I've held the ball, you know, I've gone through my read, uh, and then I try to force a ball where, you know, that's not a that's not a point of just hey I'm reading I'm going through my progression and the ball comes out when it's supposed to, so those are just kind of those are different things and that's what I kind of stress to him like you're a good he's a good decision maker he sees things well and he makes good decisions on time, and then his issues have been like not letting a play die you know when the big mistakes have happened just like hey they covered it, or you, you missed the throw when you're supposed to you can't throw it now it's too late you know what I mean now it's check trying to find the check down or take off and scramble so that's really what the message has been all along I do understand where you're coming from where it's like you know oh, don't throw an interception okay well oh no throw it to him now you know what I mean and I get the back and forth but that's not really how it's been how it's been presented and obviously like playing quarterback in the NFL is tough you know so you know there's going to be some issues you know that come up along and you just keep coaching through it and the player keeps working through it. Yeah, Heineke's got to find the right balance with all of these things. Another thing that Heineke and this Washington passing game have got to find is getting Terry McLaurin his touches. Terry has had just four receptions in each of the last two games. Terry in the loss to the Saints in week five had just four receptions for 46 yards on 11 targets in playing on 84% of Washington's offensive snaps. And then Terry in the loss to the Chiefs last Sunday had just four receptions for 28 yards on eight targets including a drop and another catch that could have been made but wasn't in playing on 95% of Washington's offensive snaps. Now, Terry was questionable for last Sunday with the hamstring ailment, so that has to be factored into the evaluation. But here was Scott on Thursday on what went on with Terry in the loss to the Chiefs. Um, I thought, you know, it's a shame because you put the tape on and, you know, you see Terry, he's getting separation at times and maybe the ball's just a little bit off or, you know, we Taylor had to scramble maybe or and he, he can't get the throw off exactly when he wants to. Um, you know, we had a, you know, I think he still had quite a few targets and there were some balls that we were close on and we were trying to get him the ball. And uh, some of those we just didn't quite connect on. There was a couple of nine routes, uh, you know, the third play of the game and then in the second quarter, you know, into the end zone that were, you know, that were close. They were just, you know, kind of a yard or two off. Um, you know, a couple, you know, just a couple of balls that were just a little bit off target. Uh, I think that we, you know, we're going to continue to obviously get Terry more opportunities. Um, you know, games like this unfortunately happen. It's a shame it happens two weeks in a row. Yes, it is. Hopefully, Terry's a big factor Sunday at the Packers. By the way, do you remember what happened the last time? that Washington played at the Packers. December 8th, 2019, Washington fell to 3-10 and with a 2015 loss at the Packers, but McLaurin had a spectacular touchdown catch. Dwayne Haskins had a fourth quarter, second and 10, 13-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Terry, who made a sensational leaping and spinning catch on which he, with his left arm, tipped and ultimately corralled the ball while spinning and falling onto the turf in the end zone. That may well be the most impressive catch that Terry has made 
as a Washington player. That kind of playmaking would be nice this Sunday. What also is nice is not paying 6%, 7%, 8% commission to your real estate agent. You worked hard for your home. Why should this person who you just met make a killing when you sell your home? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. That's why you should call John Granlund of Real Broker to sell your home. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are over. John G. is changing the game with his groundbreaking concept of commission flex. You know, Ron Rivera loves position flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, John Granlund offers commission flex, flexible commission rates. John Granlund will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John G. has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is a no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do. So you don't spend needlessly, and there is never any obligation to list or sell. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Grandland. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. Call John G and see what he can do for you. That phone number is 703 703- 537-6747. When you talk to John Granlin, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747 or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Granlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, He is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron. Just like Position Flex. We move now to the Washington football team's defense as Washington prepares for Sunday afternoon's game at the Green Bay Packers. As I've been saying, Washington's defense remains pretty healthy. In fact, only one defensive player on Washington's active roster did not fully practice on Thursday. That player was William Jackson III. He was limited for a second consecutive day due to a knee, but Jonathan Allen was a full participant in practice on Thursday off having been limited in practice on Wednesday due to a knee. And those two guys, the only Washington defensive players on Washington's injury report. So we had the major item during Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Wednesday of Ron saying of Landon Collins, quote, he's a downhill attacking style of player and we've got to make sure we're putting him in position to have success for us, end quote. Ron later in the presser said of Landon, quote, we really believe he's a downhill player, end quote. Ron did not officially say that Landon Collins now is a linebacker, but the message was clear. Landon, at the very least, is going to be used more in a linebacker-like way. Well, we on Thursday had Landon Collins doing a post-practice press conference, and this was something else because Landon flat out called himself a linebacker and said that he's not really a fan of being used as a linebacker. Quote, do I like Playing linebacker? No, not at all. I don't like hitting big linemen, getting big linemen off me. I'm undersized for being a linebacker. I don't want to play down there. 
but if need to, yeah, I'm good at it, end quote. So those comments got a lot of attention. The comments, though, do read worse than they sound. There is not very good audio of the comments. That's why I did not play for you the audio. But, I mean, you know, the comments are what they are. He doesn't want to be a linebacker. He doesn't like playing linebacker. He very much thinks of himself as a safety. I can respect that. I can. Landon Collins has been a safety for years. But here's the thing with this Landon Collins linebacker stuff, okay? It's not about his position. It's not even so much about how he's deployed as it is about this. Landon Collins is bad in pass coverage. He has been bad in pass coverage for years. He was known to be bad in pass coverage when Washington signed him to that six-year $84 million free agent contract in March 2019. The reason that New York Giants general manager Dave Gettleman chose not to franchise tag Landon Collins, chose not to re-sign Landon Collins, was that Gettleman didn't want to pay big money to a safety who was only really of service to you in the box, okay? So this is not new, this thing of Landon Collins being at his best in the box. Like, no kidding. Everyone has known this for years. And so whether Landon is playing in the box or in the slot, as he sometimes does, or certainly as a free safety, he gets called upon to play pass coverage, and he's not good at it. Landon Collins, per sport radar this season, has been torched in pass coverage. Opposing quarterbacks, when targeting players being defended, by Landon Collins this season are 18 for 29 for 318 yards. That's 11 yards per target. That's 17.7 yards per completion. Landon now being used as a linebacker doesn't mean that he'll never ever be in pass coverage. Hopefully Landon now being used as a linebacker truly minimizes him being in pass coverage. But Landon now being used as a linebacker probably does not eradicate him being in pass coverage. Landon in pass coverage is a problem. And there's only so much that you can do to hide Landon Collins when it comes to pass coverage if you're going to be insistent on playing Landon Collins. And to me, that really is what should be on the table. Should this guy be playing for Washington right now? You have two guys who played for Washington last season, and I thought played pretty well in DeShazer Everett and Jeremy Reeves. Neither guy has played on a single defensive snap for Washington so far this season. I don't know. Maybe one of those guys deserves a shot here. And think about this too with Landon. It's not just that he's bad in pass coverage now. His tackling has plummeted, okay? Landon has been a bad tackler now in each of the last two seasons. And then you throw on top of that that he's coming off the ruptured Achilles, and it's like, geez, This situation is not good. I mean, barring the unforeseen, this is Landon Collins last season with Washington. Barring the unforeseen, Washington is going to cut Landon this offseason. And so if you're going to be moving on from him this offseason, what is the screaming need to continue to play him this season? And it'd be one thing if you didn't have other viable options. I think you do in DeShazer Everett and Jeremy Reeves. Now, Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio on Thursday did his weekly press conference. Jack got asked about the Landon Collins situation and would say nothing. 
Uh, This is not surprising. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know that this is how Jack is. He's very big on not talking about specific players, not giving away anything in terms of game planning, even though with the way that Jack's defense has played this season, maybe he ought to start giving away stuff about his game planning. But anyway, here was Jack on Thursday on Landon Collins. We're preparing our football team to go out and play their football team and um, using our guys. And, you know, I don't like to get into um, uh, how we're deploying people, you know, what we're asking them to do. So I'd, I'd prefer to stay away from that. Okay, uh, Jack then got asked a follow-up question. The question was, what is it about Landon Collins that makes him most effective in the box? And here was Jack's response. Again, I, I'm, not, I'm not up here to talk about specific players. Um, you guys want to get into that? That's something, if Coach opened that up and talked about that, he can, he can talk further. I'm sure you'll be able to visit with him tomorrow. All right. And right there, we got another little jab from Jack Del Rio at Ron Rivera. Jack has done that many times over the last two seasons, has said something to the effect of, coach can talk about those things, but I'm not going to talk about those things. Coach can be a blabbermouth, but I'm not going to be a blabbermouth. Another player who Ron got asked about on Thursday was William Jackson III, who was horrible in the 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. Look, I applauded Washington signing William Jackson III to that free agent contract this past March. I'm not going to be a phony about this. I do think that William Jackson III is a talented player, okay? But he has not played well so far this season, and he was horrendous in the loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. Jack on Thursday got asked, to what extent is Jackson still adapting to Jack's defensive system here was Jack's answer to that. Well, um, again, I hate to I hate to you know address specific players. Um, you know, I, I would I would just say that he uh, is working hard. Um, I think he's growing in our system, and I think as we go through the year, I think he'll be better and better. Well, it would be hard for him to be much worse. Uh, William Jackson the Third's overall grade. For Pro Football Focus this season is a mere 46.8. Something that has become apparent, too, is that opposing quarterbacks are not at all shy about throwing at William Jackson III and Kendall Fuller. You know, earlier this season, it seemed like teams were picking on Benjamin St. Juice, right? Uh, That seemed especially apparent in the loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. The last few weeks, we've seen Jackson and Fuller picked on. And some of that is because St. Juice hasn't played as much. But, you know, there is no Darrell Revis Island-like situation going on here in terms of teams avoiding the side of the field covered by William Jackson III or avoiding the side of the field covered by Kendall Fuller. No, uh, quarterbacks have not been shy at throwing at both Jackson and Fuller. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on what he makes of that. And how about this response from old JDR? Um, you, can, you can draw your own conclusions. I mean, uh, you know, um, that's, uh, I mean, that's open for anybody's individual interpretation. I mean, you know, the way I look at it, uh, you know, we're, we're getting our guys prepared to go out and compete. Um, I think he's done a nice job. I think, I think our group, uh, as we go through the year, will be better and better. And, um, you know, we've had some, some really good contested catches. 
Um, and I, you know, to me, compete, use great technique, and go to the next play. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, not much in the way of satisfactory answers from Jack Del Rio at his weekly press conference on Thursday. And you know what? That's fine, okay? Jack's not here to do a talk show, okay? Jack's here to coach defense. The problem is that his defense has been really bad this season. Washington, through week six per football outsiders DVOA metric, was 29th in the NFL in total defense, 28th in the NFL in pass defense, and 12th in the NFL in run defense. Washington, through week six, was dead last in the NFL in opponents' third down efficiency at 57.8%. And Washington, this Sunday, will be playing at a Packers team with one of the best offenses in the NFL. The Packers through week six per DVOA were fifth in the NFL in total offense, sixth in the NFL in passing offense, and seventh in the NFL in rushing offense. The Packers' Aaron Rodgers through week six was fifth among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and ESPN's total QBR at 65.6. Is Aaron Rodgers, is the great A-Rod going to carve up this Washington pass defense, the way that so many other opposing quarterbacks have carved up this Washington pass defense this season. You know, maybe no quarterback in the NFL, heck, maybe no quarterback ever has thrown a better back shoulder fade than Aaron Rodgers. The notion of Rodgers and receiver Devontae Adams just brutalizing this Washington pass defense on Sunday afternoon is so plausible, is it not? Jack Del Rio on Thursday on what makes the Aaron Rodgers back shoulder fade such a lethal play? Well, it's one of the hardest in, in football, you know, so you're fighting hard to stay on top. And, and then the, the really gifted players, uh, quarterbacks and wideouts, get that timing down of being able to, you know, not let you be right. So I was with Peyton Manning in Denver. Um, and I and I watched the work that he put in on the sideline with with uh, with Thomas uh, Demarius and, and and those guys you know it was just you know regardless of how you played it they were coming up with their catch you know and and um, and you know it's the same kind of connection uh, and it makes it very difficult. Another major weapon for the Packers is running back Aaron Jones. Uh, Jones through week six was ninth in the NFL in rushing yards at 385. He's averaging 4.64 yards per carry this season. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on Aaron Jones. He does present challenges. I think he's a a dynamic runner, a slasher, uh, really runs behind his pads, finds finds the whole, I think, exceptional vision. Um, I, I, I think he's a really talented back. I think, I think he's one of the top backs in the league. So, you know, that's that's the, kind of the one-two punch that they present, uh, you know, with him running the ball and their RPOs, and then, and then, uh, you know, Adams is spectacular. Yes, he is, and of course, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones—they all could have truly monster performances on Sunday if Washington doesn't tackle better. Washington's tackling in the loss to the Chiefs was horrendous. Jack on Thursday on Washington's missed tackles last Sunday and on trying to work on tackling when you're not tackling during practices? I think, um, yeah, the biggest thing is, is it wasn't really the number as much as it was um, in some really critical moments, you know, and, um, you know, where we're off the field on third down. Um, 
So you work at it with leverage and, and you work at it with footwork and all the things that you can do. What you're not going to do is actually tackle in season to the ground. In fact, you don't do it in camp either. Uh, so the, the, the time you do it live is in games. And, um, but I think there are two things that help, you know, your leverage um, and, and then also the swarming of people around you and the confidence that they're coming. And I think when you start playing faster like that and, and, and you're able to take your shot and know that you have people behind you, I think that, that, that creates a more confident tackler. Yeah, Washington's defense has no shot of ever being even decent this season if the team tackles as it did last Sunday. The tackling was so bad in the loss to the Chiefs. Now, a bright spot for Washington's defense in the loss to the Chiefs was some playmaking. Uh, Washington generated three second quarter takeaways, although Washington scored just seven points off those takeaways. Jack on Thursday got asked about trying to carry over the producing of takeaways from one game to the next. Now, the truth is, producing takeaways is mostly random. Obviously, there are things that you as a defense can do to produce takeaways, but you can't really count on takeaways week in, week out, the way that a good defense can count on, say, generating pressure or being good on third downs, or stopping the run. Anyway, here was Jack on Thursday on the takeaways, but the reason that I'm going to play this for you is that Jack, during the answer, pivots into talking about trying to get Washington's defense out of this rut. Just keep working. I mean, it's all about working. You know, it's like, you know, um, you know, it's what we do. We're competitors. Uh, we prepare, uh, and we go compete. And um, it doesn't matter if your feelings get hurt, if things don't go the way you want. You know, to me, if you only, only can bring it and be accountable and do th- be, when, when things are good, you're really a front runner. And so um, I pride myself on being consistent and continuing to be uh, a, a great teacher and a, a great worker and being at my best for our guys every day. And that's all I ask them to do. You know, and, and as we do that, we have a chance to fight our way out of this and play a lot better, help our football team win. And so that's what it's all about. You know, so often in our world, people want to throw a fit, have a tantrum. Um, that's not going to solve anything. It's not going to make us better. That response was the last response that Jack Del Rio gave at his press conference on Thursday. And that was a fitting ending to the presser. Washington's defense has yet to have a truly good game this season. It's hard to be optimistic about that changing given the Sunday's opponent, but of course, that doesn't mean that you don't try. Well, speaking of that opponent, our special guest, Ryan Schlipp, the host of the Packernet podcast, a really good podcast on the Green Bay Packers, will join me next to tell us what we need to know about the Packers for Washington at Green Bay on Sunday afternoon. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, we get back to previewing the Washington football team at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon at 1. And we now welcome on a special guest to the Al Galdi podcast to help us with our preparation. Very pleased to welcome on Ryan Schlipp, the host of the Packernet podcast, a terrific podcast on the Packers. Ryan is the Pack Daddy. Uh, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at Pack underscore Daddy. Ryan, it's nice to have you on, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, so of all of the offseason drama with Aaron Rodgers, here we are. Packers are 5-1. and one. Offense has been great. Rodgers has been great. I know that there still are questions about Rodgers with the Pack beyond this season, but in terms of how this season is going with Rodgers, any complaints? No, I mean, th- this clearly isn't his MVP season, but he's, he's playing well, and I think the offense is playing well. The biggest issue... Honestly, it's just been the injuries. The offensive line has been pretty decimated. We lost our deep threat with uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and then the defense has just been uh, pretty riddled with injuries. But I've uh, been actually pretty proud of how they've kind of kept their head down, given us four quarters of solid play, and found a way to win even when the chips are down, which, to be honest, is not a normal attribute that you find with the Packers. Usually when things aren't going well, they're like, well, better luck next week. But um, they've been able to put together uh, strong four quarters and then, you know, Solid record so far. What do you think will happen with Rodgers and the Packers after this season? Man, I, I, I go back and forth on that <laughs> probably daily. Um, there have been some some pretty positive signs recently. Um, it's so hard to read Rodgers, I think, is, is the biggest part of this. You know, at, at first I didn't really believe it. And then it felt like he was gone, and then it felt like he's probably going to stay. But but recently, you know, he's he's kind of made a couple comments about how he's um, very happy. Very recently, there was a comment about um, the acquisition of um, Whitney Merciless from Houston and what his thoughts on that were. And he had a big smile on his face, and he kind of mentioned how, you know, the team isn't really used to picking up these kinds of players, which has been his biggest complaint so far is that they haven't done anything in the offseason to really help this team get over the hump. 
and he even said, went so far as to say this reminds him of that uh, Super Bowl winning season where they kind of picked up some key pieces after some injury riddled, um, you know, pieces went down. And so obviously that's not a sign that he's definitely going to stay. But he also made a comment for, you know, do you think this is your last time playing in Chicago? He said, I don't think so. Again, maybe I'm just a biased Packer fan reading too much into it. But again, every little bit that we've seen so far, he does seem pretty happy. One more on the Rodgers thing. So with this Aaron Rodgers-Packers front office feud or rift or whatever you want to call it, is one side more in the right than the other side? Well, the the fan base is split on that. You got your hardcore Rodgers fans, and then you have your more Packers loyalists. The same thing happened with Brett Favre. Um, you, You had some people that supported the team, and then some people that you call the Jet Favre, people that followed him over to the Jets. Um, I tend to side with the Packers organization on this. Um, I think maybe his uh, what he's asking for and some of his complaints are not really up to par for I think I'm going to take my, you know, pick up my stuff and leave. Um, yes, they drafted a, a quarterback. That's kind of what you do. You draft replacements just in case. You know, we draft people every single year and starters don't pick up and leave and quit because of it, you know. Um, I understand that things don't exactly go the way you want and you want more input. You know, it's, it's it's up for debate what you think his level of input should be, but I, I more or less don't think, at the very least, it, it rises to the level of, um, I don't want to be here anymore. But, you know, that's just my personal opinion. We're previewing Washington at Green Bay with Ryan Schlipp, the host of the Packernet podcast. So with the Packers offense getting beyond Aaron Rodgers, you know, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, the usual suspects, who else is doing well? What else is going well for the Packers offensively this season? Well, it's it's been a little bit of a disappointment outside of that, especially with the wide receivers and tight ends. You know, usually in the past we've had, there's always somebody, um, you know, everybody's kind of intermittent. Nobody's every single week kind of a guy, but you always got at least Alan Lazard or Marquez or somebody kind of steps up. Robert Tunyon played a big role at tight end last year. We haven't really had that breakout performance by anybody. We had one week from Randall Cobb. Um, I'm really looking for somebody to kind of establish themselves and get back to what they were. I fully expect Alan Lazard to to be able to kind of get back to what he was. He had a little bit of a better week last week. Um, at tight end, surprisingly, believe it or not, Mercedes Lewis has really sh- uh, shown up big time the last two weeks in a row. Um, he's had some big time plays, and, and he's just such a loved figure. When he catches the ball for two yards and steamrolls three guys to get four more yards, it's not that big of an offensive play, but you watch it how much it infuses this team and gets them kind of fired up. It's, it's fun to see that. Um, as far as, as production outside of the guys you listed, though, I would say A.J. Dillon is probably the, uh, the biggest X factor, the running back behind Aaron Jones. Um, he's still trying to get his feet. You know, he's, he takes him a few carries. You'll probably see him this week. The first five carries, you look at him and go, I don't know what all the hype is about. And then at about carry eight, nine, ten, you'll start to figure out exactly what the hype is about. He's he's about two hundred and fifty pounds, and he's faster than Aaron Jones. I mean, he's he's Derrick Henry, but just slightly more athletic. Packers defense, uh, the numbers are not great, but the pack has allowed twenty two points or less in four of the team's six games. You mentioned the injuries. What else has stood out to you about the defense for Green Bay so far this season? I think the defense is kind of um, similar to just the, the overall theme. You know, you look at certain things and you say that's really, really bad, but they get the job done. Like you said, the points are low. Um, you, you look at the fact that the red zone percentage, I, I think they have not stopped a single team ever in the red zone. There's something like 0 for 19 or whatever. But at the same time, again, when you look at those points, what does that tell you? They're not letting teams into the red zone. 
They do it. They do somehow, some way. They find a way to do a good enough job with whether it's a pressure, a sack, an interception, some some kind of a way. They find a way to raise to the rise to the occasion. Um, they've got guys just doing enough. Kenny Clark is doing a good job. Um, Rashawn Gary is not getting a lot of sacks, but he's got some good pressure production. Um, the linebackers for the first time, probably in my lifetime <laughs> as a Packer fan, we got a linebacker that's actually playing well. We got a couple of good safeties, guys like Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, hopefully he's going to play again this week. Um, and, and the rookie Eric Stokes and some of these kind of hodgepodge players we've had at cornerback, even though they're not people that you want there, they don't really know what they're doing. They have very little experience. They've done a good job of just at the very least, keep everything in front of you. Don't give up the big play. If you get picked on a little bit, fine. Give them the five, six yards, tackle them. Just don't get gashed. Give your defense another opportunity to get off the field. Yeah, what you just described is the exact opposite of Washington's defense this season, which looks great on paper and has been an absolute mess. So the Packers defense includes edge rusher and former Washington player Preston Smith. It's possible that he this Sunday will miss the first game of his NFL career. He's dealing with an oblique. What are your thoughts on that? And how is Preston Smith doing as a Green Bay Packer? It's, it's kind of up and down on Preston. It's, it's almost somewhat of a love-hate. As far as his availability, I'm not positive. I hope he plays. Again, the injury bug has been pretty bad. We already lost Zadarius. We lost um, uh, Chauncey Rivers, who's kind of a down-the-depth chart guy. But when you only have four and now you're down to two, it gets, it gets kind of bleak. So we're hoping he plays, even though we brought in Whitney Merciless. But, um, you know, it's it, it, his first year with us I thought was great. I mean, he's as you probably well know, he's more of a, a stout run defender than a pure pass rusher. He gave us that year one, but he also, I mean, the sack numbers are quite high. It was a little bit inflated, but we're happy with that either way. Um, the last couple of years have been pretty subpar, but then this year was a very incentive-based season, and he started off the season real hot, and it was exciting because it's like, all right, good. It's, he was motivated by the money. Um, the last couple of weeks, though, he's kind of reverted back to last year. Um, his pressure percentage is down in the, you know, 5 6%. It's, it's pretty pretty abysmal. So I'm hoping he comes back healthy. We get Zedarius back and, um, you know, we're able to use him more in a rotational role where you can kind of put him on the field when it's most optimistic and, and, and best for him and what he does best, as opposed to leaving him out there all the time and vulnerable in situations that he's maybe not the best at. Another Packer of local interest is a guy who you already mentioned, safety Darnell Savage, who went to Maryland. Uh, I know he's dealing with this concussion here, but how is Savage's 2021 season going? We're all very excited about Savage. I mean, the the talent is certainly evident. I mean, he's still making some, I guess you'd call it rookie mistakes. He's not obviously a rookie at this point, but, um, it, you know, it's taken him a while to get his footing. Last year, it was about half at the halfway mark when he really took off and, and became a really, really good safety. He's been fine. Um, it, there's been nothing devastating, but he hasn't quite really, again, got his footing entirely. Um, but again, the athleticism is there. I mean, you, you can watch him race across the field and, and the Packers DBs in general, granted, almost none of them are playing, but you look at Savage, you look at Amos, you look at Jair, you look at Stokes, you look at King. This has got to be the fastest group of DBs. Again, only about two of those guys are going to play, but, um, they can cover some ground and Savage is, is one of the fastest on this team. Um, just his ability to, you know, even the, the point is even when they lose, you better get the ball there quick because they're going to make up that ground real fast. Another guy with the Packers who we know well here is the head coach, former Washington quarterbacks coach, Matt LaFleur. It's funny, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur were all on Washington's coaching staff at the same time. Every Washington fan knows that. 
Kyle and Sean, during their time as Washington assistants, were viewed as potential slash likely future head coaches. LaFleur, not necessarily, and yet LaFleur is 31-7 and in the regular season as Packers head coach. What are your thoughts on Matt LaFleur? Well, I'm glad you brought it up. I was hoping to find an opportunity to give you guys a hard time about that because that was quite a coaching staff. Yes, it was. And, and, yes, it and was. let go. But um, no, I, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I wasn't super excited about the hire when we made it. You know, that was in the whole time when everybody was laughing about how every, anybody that even met, you know, Sean McVay was getting hired. And, you know, it was kind of this whole nonsensical joke. And he had gone to Tennessee and somehow that offense, which wasn't very good, had actually regressed. Um, so I, I, I didn't really see the merit in it. I thought they were just taking a swing at a McVeigh guy. Um, but obviously it's panned out incredibly well. I, I don't think he really gets the, the credit that he's due, considering it's it's somewhat of a historic run. I think most people, it's because they look at Aaron Rodgers and say that's why, completely forgetting that Mike McCarthy <laughs> couldn't do very much with Aaron Rodgers. But, no, he's been phenomenal. I mean, this is the point is this is the scheme that wins. Uh, right now it's, it's, it's a great way to play offense against modern-day defenses. And he's just uh, very fluent in it. And he's been able to craft a Packers roster and learn how to tweak Rodgers to play within that and find the right guys. Guys like Alan Lazard that probably don't really fit on a lot of teams or Mercedes Lewis that don't fit on any teams really aside from the Packers and, and utilize them in this kind of scheme and really make it work. And it's it's obviously worked quite well. So i um, very happy with what we've had from Matt LaFleur so far. And then a final guy of local interest is Mark Murphy, who was a defensive back for Washington in the 70s and 80s and is, of course, the Packers president and CEO. If I walk around Green Bay and ask people about Mark Murphy, is his approval rating high or not really? I would say it's low, and I would say that those people are wrong. Um, I'm, I'm, a lot of people would call me a bootlicker around here, <laughs> apparently, but uh, I, you know, I, here, here's the situation. Things in Green Bay were obviously very bad, right? With Ted Thompson, with Mike McCarthy, and everything else that was going on there, and there were articles coming out about how everybody had kind of gotten lazy, and everybody everybody had just gotten complacent. It was Mark Murphy, first of all, that pulled himself away from his assignments, looked at what was going on, realized that this wasn't working. We reassigned Ted Thompson, which let's call it what it is. He was removed from his role. They removed Mike McCarthy from his role. They basically fired everybody. He was also the one that hired Brian Gutekunst, who has done a fantastic job as our GM. And then those two combined, Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst, decided to hire Matt LaFleur. This team was headed toward complete disaster. After the 2018 season, I thought, we're headed for 20 years of darkness. We turned this thing around in one year, and that all started largely because of what Mark Murphy had done to save this team from complete and utter despair. And and the fact that most, from my observations, most Packer fans are not grateful. And it all stems from the Aaron Rodgers controversy. They all hate Gutekunst and Murphy because Aaron Rodgers is mad. And I, I don't want to get into the full drama of it, but that's what it stems from. And I just think it's, it's incorrect. Excellent stuff, man. Really appreciate your time. Ryan Schlipp the host of a terrific podcast. If you want to learn more about the Green Bay Packers, the pod is the Packernet podcast. Ryan, all the best, man. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Best of luck to you. Not this week, but every other week after that. (laughs) And uh, take care. Same here. Same here. All right. It is time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys, as I will rhyme the path 
to victory for the Washington football team in its game at the Green Bay Packers Sunday afternoon at 1. As you hopefully know by now, these rhymes are not meant to be good. They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment. The worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for Washington Green Bay. How does Washington win this game? Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for Washington's defense. When it comes to tackling, don't be slackers at the Packers. Was there anything more galling, more infuriating, more offensive in Washington's 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon than Washington's tackling? I know it drove me nuts. I'm sure it drove you nuts as well. Washington's tackling was an embarrassment, especially the tackling by the corners, especially the tackling by William Jackson III. He wasn't the only culprit, though, but there were so many bad tackling moments for Washington in that game. Just take the final snap of the first quarter, okay? This play, more than any play, sticks with me. Kendall Fuller and Jamin Davis failing on attempted tackles on a Patrick Mahomes third and four five-yard shotgun completion to running back Jarek McKinnon. That play was horrendous. That play was amateur hour. Be better. We can talk about Jack Del Rio's scheme and William Jackson III not playing enough man coverage and the usage of Landon Collins. Here's something simple. Tackle better. Be football players and tackle better. Take better angles, be more physical, and embrace rather than shy away from contact. Because if Washington now is going to be a bad tackling team, then this defense has no chance this season. And understand that Packers receiver Devontae Adams through week six was number four among all NFL receivers in yardage after catch. Yak per ESPN at 218. And so rhyming key number one for Washington's defense, when it comes to tackling, don't be slackers at the Packers. Rhyming key number two, this is for Taylor Heineke. Be inspired by your late father, Brett, and make it a day that you'll never forget. As we talked about on Thursday's show, episode 171, Taylor Heineke grew up as a Packers fan. Why? His dad, Brett Heineke, was a big Packers fan. Well, Brett Heineke passed away in December 2011 due to a massive heart attack at the age of just 50. Taylor Heineke at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday talked a lot about his dad. Also talked about having grown up looking up to Brett Favre. So Taylor Heineke will hopefully be inspired by these two Bretts, uh, Brett Heineke and Brett Favre, and ball out on Sunday afternoon. Heineke, as you know, is coming off having struggled in each of the last two games, and really in three of the last four games. Way too many interceptable passes. He has been late on throws. He's made bad decisions on throws. And as I've been saying, he has lost his mojo. We've got to get the Taylor Haneke mojo back. Uh, I think we could see him run much more this Sunday at the pack. And it sounds like the shackles on him running have been loosened at least a bit. But I do think that there's something to playing for someone or playing for something, you know, having a cause, having a purpose. You know me, I'm big on analytics and data. I'm big on that. 
which we can quantify. I'm not a big fan of, you know, abstract cliche things, but that doesn't mean that abstract cliche things can't be legit. And I do think that playing for someone or something, playing for a cause, playing for a purpose is a thing. And I ask you this, name me the most famous performance of Brett Favre's career. There are several possible legitimate answers. But one is what he did on December 22nd, 2003. The night after Brett's dad, Irvin Favre, suffered a fatal heart attack in Mississippi, not unlike Brett Heineke's fatal heart attack, Brett Favre played out of his mind on Monday Night Football, a 41-7 win at the Oakland Raiders. Favre went 22-30 for 399 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. Could it be, might it be, that Taylor Heineke authors a high-level performance on Sunday afternoon at the pack in being inspired by his late dad the way that Brett Favre pretty clearly was inspired by his late dad? We'll see. But rhyming key number two, for Taylor Heineke, be inspired by your late father, Brett, and make it a day that you'll never forget. And then rhyming key number three, This is for Scott Turner. Your rushing attack can pick up the slack at the pack. The Packers through week six were just 30th out of 32 NFL teams in run defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. The Packers through week six also were just 19th in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA, by the way. But the Packers run defense has been a problem and that run defense could be without a key guy in stopping the run for the Packers defense and former Washington edge rusher Preston Smith, who did not practice on Wednesday and then did not practice again on Thursday as he's dealing with an oblique injury. Opposing teams this season against the Packers are averaging 4.49 yards per carry. The Packers are coming off a 24-14 win at the Chicago Bears last Sunday afternoon. But Bears running back and Virginia Tech product Khalil Herbert in that game had 19 carries for 97 yards and a touchdown. Yes, Antonio Gibson is dealing with this shin problem, but J.D. McKissick is coming off a really nice game in the loss to the Chiefs. Eight carries for 45 yards, eight receptions for 65 yards on 10 targets. Remember, the running game, quote-unquote, in today's NFL isn't just handing the ball off to running backs. The running game in today's NFL also involves, say, screens to running backs, uh, what are called run extension plays. And there are going to be opportunities for Washington to, quote-unquote, run the ball effectively against the Packers. Take advantage of those opportunities. Of course, you need to throw the football well. I'm not a believer in a team having to run the ball a certain number of times or needing to have run-pass balance. I hate hate when people bring that up. But what I am a believer in is attacking a defense's weakness, and stopping the run has been a weakness of the Packers, and that weakness could be even more pronounced on Sunday if Preston Smith doesn't play. And especially when you consider the benefit of running the ball well, including doing well in time of possession and keeping Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense off the field, ain't nothing wrong with going to the ground on Sunday afternoon. And so rhyming key number three for Scott Turner, your rushing attack can pick up the slack at the pack. All right, prediction time. 
Washington per Caesars Sportsbook as of very early Friday morning is plus seven and a half for this game. What's very interesting about this game is that there is major sharp money on, believe it or not, the Washington football team. We have had reverse line movement for this game. The bulk of the public money, as you would expect, is on the Packers. And yet the line for this game has gone from Washington at, say, plus 10.5 to Washington plus 7.5. That's reverse line movement. Reverse line movement is when a line moves in the direction of further encouraging a heavily bet side to be bet on even more. So if the public is pounding one side, but the line moves in the direction of enticing even more bets on that publicly favored side, that's reverse line movement because in theory, the house wants 50-50 action. Continuing to entice people to bet the side that's already being bet on a bunch is a sure sign of sharp bettors pounding the other side. And so while every fiber of your being is likely saying to play the Packers, what you should always do in these situations is follow the sharp money. Joe Q Public, okay, Johnny Squareplay doesn't know what he's doing. The sharps, they know what they're doing. And so based on that principle, yes, give me the Washington football team plus the seven and a half. All right, we go from picking the Washington football team's game for this Sunday to picking some college football games for this Saturday. Time now for Goldilocks for week eight of the college football season. You've heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This is Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Two and one last week, including two and oh last Saturday, 13 and nine is the overall record on the season. You're welcome. Uh, Goldilocks, all odds from Caesars Sportsbook as of very early Friday morning. Goldilocks, game number one, Maryland at Minnesota, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Terrapins are plus four and a half. Terps are coming off their bye, and boy, did they need it. Terps' last two games are a 51-14 loss to then number five, Iowa at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium in College Park on October 1st, and a 66-17 loss at then number seven Ohio State on October 9th. The Terps in each of their last two games have been humbled in ways that are unholy and impure. Make him humble! Yes, as the Iron Sheik would say, make him humble! Uh, receiver Jason Jones in the loss at the Buckeyes was carted off the field with a leg injury during the first offensive drive of the game. Head coach Mike Loxley on Tuesday announced that Jones is in fact done for the season. So Maryland now is without two of the team's top three receivers for the rest of the season. Remember the Terps just lost their best receiver Dante Demas Jr. for the rest of the season to a nasty looking right leg injury that was suffered in the loss to Iowa. Uh, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa was better in the loss at Ohio State than he was in his uh, five interception performance in the loss to Iowa, but he still was not great in the loss at the Buckeyes. 28-39 for 279 yards, 7.15 yards per pass attempt, two touchdowns, two interceptions. The two interceptions came in the fourth quarter and included a 70-yard pick six, and he took five sacks. The question for Maryland right now is, Is the season unraveling, or is it simply that the Terps aren't good enough to hang with the elite of the Big Ten? Saturday afternoon's game at Minnesota is going to tell us a lot. The Gophers are 4-2, have won two straight, 2013 
at Purdue on October 2nd and a 30-23 home win over Nebraska on October 16th. There's nothing really special about Minnesota. This is just a decent Big Ten team. Will Maryland win at a decent Big Ten team? Are the Terps at least decent or are they coming apart at the seams? The public loves Minnesota and yet the line for this game has moved. The Terps were at plus five in plenty of shops, now are at plus four and a half. My friends, we call that reverse line movement. That's an indication of sharp money coming in on the Turtles. And so give me Maryland plus the four and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, Snoop. Thank you. And by the way, happy birthday to Snoop, who turned 50 this week. Yeah, you want to feel old? Snoop Dogg turned 50 this week. Goldilocks game number two, Virginia home to Georgia Tech Saturday night at 7.30. The Cavaliers are minus six and a half. Uh, the Cavs improved to five and two with a 48 nothing homecoming win over Duke at a rainy Scott Stadium in Charlottesville last Saturday afternoon. Cavs won their third consecutive game, improved to three and two in the ACC off an 0-2 start in conference play and recorded their first shutout in an ACC game since a 31-0 win over Maryland in October 2008. The Wahoos defense, which overall has not been good this season, was good in this game. And Cavs quarterback Brendan Armstrong was great again. He did not play in the fourth quarter. He, over the first three quarters, went 25-45 of 45 for 364 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, took three sacks, had eight carries for 34 yards, which, remember, includes the yardage lost on the three sacks and a touchdown. Brennan Armstrong through week seven was number one in the FBS in passing yards at 2,824, was number 33 among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR at 70.1 and had 19 touchdown passes versus six interceptions. The rambling wreck of Georgia Tech is 3-3. Three and three. It's coming off its bye. Uh, its last game was a 31-27 win at Duke on October 9th. Yellow Jackets did beat then number 21 North Carolina 45-22 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta on September 25th. Tech does have three linebackers who rank in the top 10 in the ACC in tackles. Maybe Tech could loan one of those guys to the Washington football team, uh, but I really like where Virginia is at right now. The public does love Virginia, but we haven't really had reverse line movement for this game, and so give me Wahoo minus six and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Goldilocks game number three. Virginia Tech home to Syracuse Saturday afternoon at 1230. The Hokies are minus three. May the college football gods have mercy on Hokies head coach Justin Fuente should he lose this game. Tech fell to three and three with a 28-7 homecoming loss to Pitt at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg last Saturday. Very disappointing performance for the Hokies. Uh, they trailed in the third quarter 28-0. The Hokies scored just the seven points. The Hokies averaged just 3.73 yards per play. The Hokies totaled just 13 first downs. The Hokies went just 4-14 on third downs. The Hokies lost a time of possession battle by 16 minutes, 47 seconds. On and on, I could go. Hokies quarterback Braxton Burmeister had a bad game. Went just 11 of 32 for just 134 yards. A touchdown and an interception. Was sacked three times. Tech's running game 
wasn't very good. And the heat, which already was on Fuente, now is even more on. Remember the circumstance going into the season. Virginia Tech Director of Athletics, Whit Babcock, last December 15th announced that Fuente would be back for a sixth season as Hokies head coach when the Director of Athletics has to say that the head coach is coming back for the following season. You know that the head coach is on shaky ground and the ground now even shakier for Justin Fuente. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I got this email from Jamie Houston on Justin Fuente. Writes, Jamie, he's done. They can't just bring him back as is. He only has two years left on his contract after this season, and an extension is completely untenable for the fan base. But retaining a coach with only two years left on his deal completely submarines your ability to recruit. There is nobody better at quarterback, so they play Burmeister, who clearly is hurt. Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson transferred, so the depth chart is non existent. Yeah, thanks for the email, Jamie. And speaking of Hendon Hooker, he is killing it for Tennessee this season. As Braxton Burmeister struggles, if you're a Hokies fan, it's impossible not to look with jealous eyes at Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker through week seven, number 14 among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 78.1. I tell you, Tech's season opening 17-10 win over then number 10 North Carolina in Blacksburg on September 3rd. Now feels like 40 years ago. So, Saturday's opponent, Syracuse. Uh, the Orange is not good. 3-4 and four overall, 0-3 oh in the ACC. The Cuse did play Wake Forest tough, a 40-37 home overtime loss to the then number 19 Demon Deacons on October 9th. But this is a game that Virginia Tech really should win. Will Virginia Tech win this game? Who knows? Nobody can love where the Hokies are at right now, but they are desperate. The more desperate team usually wins in a spot like this. And so give me the fighting Fuentes minus the three. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right. And then Goldilocks game number four, Navy home to number two, Cincinnati, Saturday at noon. The midshipmen are plus 28. Uh, This game could be especially painful. Navy is not good. Cincinnati is outstanding. The Mids last played two Thursday nights ago, fell to 1-5, and a 35-17 loss at Memphis on October 14th. Another game for Navy in which its offense just was not good. The Mids averaged just 3.39 yards per play. Navy quarterback Ty Lovatai took a pounding in the game, left the game, due to concussion protocol. Uh, Navy did get hit with some brutal penalties, including a ridiculous clipping penalty on receiver Kamari Williams that negated a second quarter, third and goal, five-yard touchdown pass by Lovatai on a drive that resulted in a field goal. But still, Navy's offense was not good. Navy's defense gave up way too many big plays. And the Bearcats of Cincinnati are, shall we say, loaded for bear. Uh, Cincinnati is 6-0. and oh. Cincinnati is destroying teams. Cincinnati through week seven was number 12 in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN and was number eight in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN. Cincinnati running back Jerome Ford is a monster. He over 102 carries this season is averaging seven yards per carry. He threw week seven was number two in the FBS in rushing touchdowns with 12. Do you remember the television show Martin? on Fox back in the day. Do you remember one of the characters who Martin Lawrence played, Jerome? Do you remember Jerome's catchphrase? The catchphrase was, Oh, 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 I'll take Jerome to the house. 
Yeah, Jerome in the house. Oh, oh, oh. I say Jerome in the house. Exactly. Well, Jerome Ford will be in the house at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on Saturday afternoon. And Jerome may well be making a number of house calls. Gimme Cincinnati, minus 28. Make money, money, make money, money, money. So, Maryland, plus four and a half. Virginia, minus six and a half. Virginia Tech, minus three. And Cincinnati, minus 28. Those are your Goldilocks for college football week eight. All right, really nice win for the Capitals on Thursday night. A 4-1 win at the New Jersey Devils. Caps improved to 3-0-1. The Caps led in the third period 4-0. The puck possession battle in the game was about even. Caps just converted more of their shots on goal into goals. And the Caps' goaltending was better. Vitek Vanacek was a Caps starting goaltender for the third time in four games this regular season. And he was good for the third time in as many starts this season. Vanacek stopped 25 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. The one goal that he gave up came on a third period Devils power play. That's certainly forgivable. Uh, Vanacek, for natural stat trick, stopped eight of the nine high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped all five of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped all nine of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. Vitek Vanacek has been terrific. Three starts now this regular season, a record of 2-0-1, a goals against average of 1.30, a save percentage of 946. Evgeny Kuznetsov had another good game, a third period even strength goal and a secondary assist. Kuznetsov scoring an even strength goal 916 into the third period on a tap-in shot of a loose puck from basically a zero-degree angle just to the left of Devils goaltender Scott Wedgwood. Kuzi over four games this season has three goals and five assists. Alex Ovechkin on Thursday night had two assists. He over four games this season has four goals and four assists. Caps special teams weren't great. Uh, Caps went 0 for 3 on the power play and 0 for 1 on the penalty kill. Special teams have been a bit of a problem for the Caps so far this season. But still, this was a nice win. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters. Yeah, it was good. Um, You know, seven minutes, eight minutes to go in the game. There's 17 shots against on net, so I thought defensively, Five on five was pretty good, and then offensively we were able to chip away at it. You know they're they're a good young fast team, and um, you know they play fast, and that takes away your offense sometimes just by how quickly they can defend or track or gap up or back pressure from behind. So um, there were some some good things that we did offensively as well. Yes, there were. Caps are rolling right now. 3-0-1. The Caps during that start have outscored opposing teams 16-7. Not bad. Next up for the Caps, home to the Calgary Flames, Saturday afternoon at 1. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 173, will be a Washington football team postgame show off whatever happens in Washington's game at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. I'll also post-game the college football Saturday with Maryland, Minnesota, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, and Navy, Cincinnati. And I'll have some thoughts for you on the Capitals and the Wizards. Uh, Caps will be home to the Calgary Flames Saturday afternoon at 1. The Wiz will host the Indiana Pacers Friday night at 7. Have a great weekend. Hail to the Burgundy and the Gold. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Again, I... 
I'm not I'm not up here to talk about specific players. Um, you guys want to get into that? That's something. If Coach opened that up and talked about that, he can he can talk further. I'm sure you'll be able to visit with him tomorrow.